This morning it is so good to be with you today. I'm glad you're here. Last week was a wonderful week. And for those of us who were here and had lots of visitors, who knows how many were here. There are lots of them. And the service out on the lawn was just beautiful. Lots of volunteers that were a part of that. And then, of course, uh, as Mike said, so many were gone to Leadership Training for Christ and so proud of our kids and our parents and coaches that work with them. And they did such a fantastic job as well. So many good things are happening here. Now, the good thing about today is it's cooler in here than it was last week outside. Some of you who were in the sun, you really got it pretty good. I mean, you had a free vitamin D bath last week. And some said that it was the best sermon that I've ever preached because it was only 13 minutes long. So you like that part at least. And so today we have air conditioning. It'll go about an hour and a half. So no, don't worry. So in the last few weeks before Easter, we have been, I've been trying to recognize some different people who do things behind the scenes that sometimes you never see. You don't even know who they are. And we've recognized some of those folks. And today, there are two men I want us to, to think, and that's Cassidy Renault and Luis Farias Vargas. We usually just call him Luis. But Cassidy and Luis, they do an incredible job here in so many ways. They are the two that are really the principal men that look over our air conditioning. After last week, can you imagine anything more important in a church than air conditioning, right? And there are numerous units in these buildings. I mean, do you remember that game, you know, where you try to hit the things on the head and something always pops up? That's the way it is with the air conditioning. There is always one that's going out and one that's coming back online and one going out and waiting for weeks for a part from somewhere. And they just do a fantastic job. And sometimes we'll say, did you know that such and such was out? And they will always say, yes, we're working on it. They already know. So thanks to those two men and what they do for us. And as summer is coming, we will appreciate you even more. So this morning, we're talking about the tomb is empty. And last week, we had a great service, as we talked about, and lots of folks came. And there are many people that came. They just come on Easter and Christmas, and that's the time that they worship. And I'm so thankful they come on those days. But, you know, it's really about more than just that. It's about more than just being in, in attendance twice a year. It's about a lot more than that. And so now that we talked about all last week, the tomb is empty, the tomb is empty, Jesus is resurrected over and over. We say that every church in America, really every church that had a service nearly last week around the world said something like that, probably. So now what? What do we do with that now that the tomb is empty? We got that point. You know, it wasn't like Jesus said to them, all right, now I've, res I've been resurrected, the tomb is empty, so... Uh, you don't need to do anything else except show up next, next Easter and, oh, show up Christmas, celebrate my birthday. Of course, you know, it's not really my birthday, but show up anyway on that day. That's not what he did, is it? He didn't do anything even like that. If you remember, as he talks to the women following that passage that Jack read for us today in Matthew 28, verses 8 through 10, this is what happened. So the women hurried away from the tomb after they see it's empty. And they were afraid, yet they were filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to, came to him, they clasped his feet, they worshipped him, and then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
Now just imagine what this was like for these women as they are running away. They realize that the tomb is empty. And, and, and so they run away. Do you know what? Have you ever been in a place like someone was standing behind you and they, you didn't know that they were there and you turn around and you know, you're just, just scared to death? Now imagine what it was like for these women. That they have been to the tomb, it's empty. They are they're excited. You know, what has just happened? They're confused. <coughs> and, and they're hurrying away from the tomb. And all at once, there's Jesus. Whoa, can you imagine? Greetings, he says to them. And then he says what would have been hard not to do, but he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wow. They fall at his feet. They, they clasp his feet. And oh, can you imagine what that moment must have been like? We thought you were dead. We thought you were dead. And he's alive. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? The one that they loved, the one that they served, and after what they had seen the day, the three days before, whenever he had been up on the cross. And now here he is. And so do you see what the first directive is after the resurrection? And I use this word today, directive, instead of command. You could use command if you chose. But I want you to think about this as what was said. Now, the first thing that was said was don't be afraid, but that kind of goes into the second thing. He says, go tell my disciples. Very first thing he says, go tell my disciples. So out of all the things that Jesus could have said, he could have said, hey, stay here and worship me. He could have said, hey, don't say anything to anybody. He could have said a thousand things. But it's go tell my brothers or my disciples, and he would have been, I'm sure he's talking about probably the apostles there, and says, go and tell them that I'm not dead, but I'm alive. And you know that that was what they did, and you can imagine what it's like to run, and these women are, are running, and you can think about the, the, the clothing that they would have worn from what you have seen in pictures, and they would have been on sandals, and you've got cobblestones, you're running, and your heart is, run, is running faster than you are. You know that feeling when you have something to say and you are hurrying as fast as you can. This sometimes happens whenever I have something, maybe I, I need to hurry and get home or I want to tell Barbara something and, and I can't get the gate opened and it doesn't even have a lock, you know, and I can't get the gate open, then I can't get my key into the, into the door and you're trying to hurry as fast as you can and it's all just kind of crazy. Imagine what it's like for Mary Magdalene and these other women as they're running toward, toward the apostles and they're saying, <laughs> Jesus, he's alive. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like as they go to tell the disciples? So Jesus spent 40 days with those disciples after the resurrection. He said, well, where'd you come up with a number like that? Well, from the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us what Jesus did in that time. It said he appeared to them, the disciples, over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, this made all the sense in the world that Jesus would be talking about the kingdom of God and what was coming, and he's giving them orders and instructions and encouragement about getting ready for this next phase of what's coming, and they don't even know that seven days after he went up back, back up to heaven after this, that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're able to speak in languages they had never studied before, and they just start preaching and proclaiming Jesus, and Peter gives this incredible sermon, and he tells the audience, the people right in front of him, that this Jesus that you crucified, that God has made both Lord and Savior. And you can imagine the courage it would take to say something like that, but the Holy Spirit is with him, and he says all that, and they're like, what, what do we do? We've messed up. What do we do? 
And you remember he tells them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. Now, Sometimes when we have a baptism at the end of the service, we go, oh boy, that means 15 minutes late. I'm going to be late to the restaurant. Somebody's going to beat me there. You imagine waiting around for 3,000 people to be baptized, right? And incidentally, there is, there is, forget about food whenever it comes to people being baptized into Christ because there is nothing more beautiful and nothing more wonderful and we can wait all day if that's what it takes. Nothing is more beautiful than that. And so, 40 days Jesus is with them. And he tells them all about the kingdom. And he says, hey, I'm resurrected. And you can imagine, and there were other people that saw Jesus as well, that the Bible says, and he tells them all, hey, I'm resurrected. Look, he goes, remember to Thomas, and he says, you know, put your hand on my side if you don't believe it. Look at the hand, at the, at the, at the holes in my hands. And, and says, look at this. I'm really resurrected. Go tell the disciples. We're disciples, Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. And we have been telling each other most of our lives. Now, some of you are new in Christ. Maybe you've been baptized in the last few weeks. Maybe you've been baptized in the last few years. Some of us have been baptized decades ago. And some, literally, I am sure that there are a few in our congregation that were baptized more than eight decades ago there is no better kind of church to work in than one that is multi-generational because it looks like the body of christ the body of christ ought to have young people and older people it ought to have everybody in it because it's what the body of christ looks like body of christ ought to have people that are various races and various backgrounds people with a little people with a lot but all people working together and serving jesus some of us we've been telling each other for year for years about the resurrection matter of fact this morning that's what i've already done right i've told the disciples today about the resurrection i've told you about the resurrection i told you last sunday about the resurrection every sunday nearly whenever i do the invitation as we call it at the end of the sermon i talk about the resurrection for those of you who teach class, you have talked about the resurrection. You've talked about it to your friends. You've gone out to eat and probably the resurrection at some point has come up and you've talked about those things. For years we've talked to each other about the resurrection. We got that part down, right? We figured that part out. But it is supposed to go past us. It was never supposed to be kept just among the, the disciples. But yet, that's what a lot of us do. A lot of us, it never gets out of our circle of people who think exactly like we do. Oh, I'm not going to tell him because he's not a Christian. I'm going to tell her because I don't know if she believes. And so therefore, I'm not going to talk about this. You know that thing, you never talk about religion or politics. Who came up with that? Somebody who didn't want to talk about religion or politics. I'd rather not talk about some of those things personally, but I'm going to talk about religion. I've got to talk about faith. And even to take it past that, I don't want to talk about religion. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about how we can know Jesus better. And so there was another directive that's in, in the Bible there. 
And it comes right there at the end, after that thing about go tell my disciples in Matthew 28. At the end of the chapter, and still in Matthew 28, there's another directive, the second one. Verses 18 through 20, you probably heard this one if you've been to church some or gone to, to Bible class. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Your version may say to the very end of the world. It's the same thing here. He says, this is the second one. Go into all the world. It does not matter what language a person speaks. It doesn't matter what, what their citizenship is of whatever country. It doesn't matter what their race is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, and I will be with you always. Always. So this is the second directive. Yet, for many of us, we say, yeah, well, I do that. You know, I put a check in the, in the contribution. We used to say whenever we pass the plate, we put a check in. Now we say, well, I put it in the virtual plate online, right? Wherever it is, put that check in, right? And so I do that. But do I do that as far as opening my mouth to other people? Or is it that I'm just paying someone else to do it for me? Is that really what I do? Now, it's important to give. Don't misunderstand me. And I'm so thankful for the, for the mission's focus that this congregation has and thankful for those things. But this is about getting down to the subject of what it's all about, about Jesus. Now, sometimes, because we do lots of great ministries here, we do things like, you know, like Fall Festival, and we have a great children's ministry, we have a great youth ministry, we let people use our building, and it's so great that we do all those things. We're all for that. But if we never get to the heart of what it's about to make disciples and tell people about Jesus and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we never get down to what it was about, we have failed. You see, it's not just about feeding people. It's about getting to the point to talk to them about Jesus. It's not just about letting people use our building. It's about getting to the point of talking about Jesus. And some would say, some on the outside would say, are you trying to proselytize? Yes. Yes. And that's considered a bad thing to do. Do you know why? Because those folks that don't want Jesus to be proclaimed have told the church that the church shouldn't tell people about Jesus, that that is not correct. And so we've gone, okay, well, I won't tell anybody. Who are we listening to? It is Jesus that we were called to listen to. It is God we were called to listen to and through his Holy Spirit. Talk about Jesus and the power of Jesus because if you want to know what will heal the land, it's Jesus. If you want to know what will heal people, it's Jesus. If you want to know what will bring people, bring families back together, it is Jesus. When we can all come together upon that solid rock, then finally we will have what we have all desired. But instead we look every place else. And we just buy into this, to this message that we hear that other people tell us, oh, don't talk about those things. Well, this passage of Scripture that's on the screen right now, it's called the Great Commission, but it has become, the, it has become a, an omission for most people. Most people never talk about it. 
I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bring that up. You got your faith and religion. I got mine, or you don't have any at all. I'd never know because I don't talk to you about it. And and so we don't even bring it up. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? There was a time in life when people were ready to talk about their faith, but not anymore. I can tell you, I'm number one, I'm scared to death some days to talk about it. What if someone who I never meet again doesn't, who thinks I'm weird for a moment? That's what it's about, isn't it? Sometimes we're afraid. What will somebody think of me? How will they react to me? This is who we were called to be. This is what Jesus said. I want you to think of it this way. What if the future of Christianity depended on me? What if? What if it was down to me? It's kind of scary. You said, well, David, God's church will never go away. Okay, but what if it was all about me? And me being the hands and feet of Jesus... What if I were the only one he had called to proclaim the word and and to start a congregation? What would happen? You know, you've heard enough stories from me about Brazil and us being missionaries there, but you're going to get one more today, okay? And you'll probably get another one in a week or two. So, I just don't know which one it is yet, but I knew the one I'm going to tell you today. So, when we went to Brazil, we went with three other couples, and, and soon it became three other families, and we were there for one purpose. We were there to plant a congregation. That was the sole purpose. We did a lot of things. We fed people and helped people and did all those things you might imagine, but we were planting a congregation. And we, had a, we all had supporting churches. We had what we call sponsoring churches, people who took our money for us and then sent us the check and helped us and all those things, and just like what we do with missions in this congregation. And we knew that our team overall was going to be there for 10 years. And we were going to phase out our time and that Barbara and I were going to stay seven years with our girls. And you know what that did by knowing that, especially for us, that we were going back in seven years and for our team that it was going to be about 10 years, it went a little bit longer. But do you know what what that did to us? We got, to, we got to go out there and evangelize. We got to talk about Jesus. We need to be having Bible studies with people. Because we were on a clock. And we knew we were on a clock. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we'll look at our mission efforts and we'll say, well, how is our mission effort doing over in this country or that country? And are they producing baptisms and is the church growing? We never ask that back this way or hardly ever to ourselves. Dying churches sometimes get rid of of dying missionaries when maybe, maybe we ought to think about the church itself. Oh, no, I might just lose my job just saying all this because I'm the guy, right? Just joking. Please don't take that. Take that out of the tape, okay? Okay. But we ought to think that way. Seriously, we ought to think that way. And so we were on this clock. We realized we have got to plant a church. And so whenever we went to, to buy our furniture, it was to the, to the person who sold us the furniture, hey, we would love to have a Bible study with you. We'll come to church, meet the rest of us. Hey, we're going to have this cookout. Come to the cookout where our congregation's having a cookout. Come. And so whenever we're buying the refrigerator, guess what? The same thing. Whenever we went to do government papers, we're inviting. Everywhere we go, we invite, we invite, we invite. 
There was never a checker that wasn't at a store that was not invited to church by, by one of us. There was never anybody. You do government papers, local papers, whatever it is. You are inviting, 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 inviting. And last week, I saw pictures on Facebook of that congregation of a retreat that they had just had. Wow. You talk about feeling it in the heart and how good it was to see a congregation of people happy and excited. But here, we don't feel a clock ticking. Well, you know, it's just the way it is. We don't think about that. Although we ought to be thinking about that. Not a one of us knows how many years we have. And even not a one of us knows how many breaths we have. We may not make it through the day. Are there people that we need to talk to about Jesus to? But yet sometimes we just let all that slide. You know what? I don't want to get around to that one of these days. In 2024, that's going to be my goal. 2025, that'll be my goal to be... A person that learns how to study the Bible with people or whatever it is you want to say. But more than likely, it's not even on our goals for 24, 25, 26, or 46. We don't even think about it sometimes. Well, what I want to do is I want to encourage us to commit to change. There were four or five of us last weekend, actually on Saturday morning before Easter, they had the opportunity to hear a, a man, actually one of my old friends that we were missionaries with in Brazil, Terry Fisher, talk, and he really inspired me to remember these things and to, to bring up some of that emotion and excitement and zeal for evangelism that, that I think I, I've lost somewhere along the way. But it wasn't like, hey, let's get the whole congregation all at once running through Hedwig Village and on, onto I-10 today and, and trying to hand, hand out flyers to people on I-10 as they run down the road. It wasn't like that. But instead it was make a two-degree change. Just two degrees. Become two degrees warmer than you are right now in sharing your faith in Jesus. You know, you've heard a lot of stories about our dog, Stoops, as well, and we walk Stoops every morning, and, and one of the things whenever we walk him that I do every single morning is I look at the temperature, and I've noticed that temperature, as I, as I age, hopefully I'm not an old guy yet, but as I age, I notice that temperature bothers me more than it used to. And this is the rule. If it is 69 degrees or less, I put on a jacket. If it's 70 degrees or warmer, I don't wear a jacket when I walk the dog. That's the cutoff point. And, and boy, and I'm always, oh, I can't believe this. I'm so cold. How, how hot is it? Well, it's, I mean, how cold is it? 68 degrees. Well, that's cold, right? And that's the way we feel in a, feel in a building, right? Those guys with the air conditioning can put it, take it up or take it down or whatever. And just a couple of degrees can make everything feel differently. Just make a two degrees evangelistic change. That's all. And you say, well, what would that look like? Well, here are some examples of how to do that. If you're a person that faith and God never comes out of your mouth, it's like you got it here, you got it with your friends, but you just nothing ever comes out of your mouth. This is the way to start. Just mention God in conversation. 
Tell people why you serve. Just mention him. You're out walking the dog. Somebody says, beautiful morning today, isn't it? And you say, yes, it is. God has made a beautiful morning today. That's all you have to say. You have just opened up the door that if they ever want to say something, you have just said, I believe that God is real when you said that. Boy, isn't that great? You got a tax, ref you got a tax uh, refund? Yes, God blessed me. You have just opened up the door. Whatever it is, just acknowledge God somehow. To say, hey, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, we had a good one. Well, what did you do? Well, we went, we went bike riding, and we went to Galveston. We went to church on Sunday. We were with a lot of our friends. That was really good. And we did such and such and such and such and such and such. You have opened the door. For some of us who don't ever talk about our faith, this is a two-degree change just to start talking a little bit. There's no Bible study in that. There's no needing to know 400 verses of Scripture in that. It is just opening the door. Invite someone. If you've already done that, invite someone to a church service or to a small group or to some activity that we have. Just invite. And maybe it's not to the... Matter of fact, while this is good... This is a little bit like a movie theater where sometimes visitors come in, they come in and then they walk out and they only talk to the people they're with. And this is still good. Invite them to your Bible class where people have time to talk to them and hand them a donut. And you can have a conversation and find out more about people. And then this feels a lot warmer after you've gotten to know some people earlier and had some conversation. Where, <coughs> excuse me. If you're in a small group, come over to our small group tonight. We're cooking out. We're going to have a Bible study, but we're cooking out, and all the kids are there, and we've got kids your age, or got people your age, or somebody who works at your company, or whatever it is. Just come over. Be a part of that. Open the door just a little bit, which kind of goes along with that. Introduce your friend's who don't have a background, who are inactive in their faith, to Christian friends. You say, hey, this is a friend of mine. We work on some church projects together. You don't have to say, this is an elder, and which means according to the uh, epistles of, of Paul that he has these qualifications. You don't have to do anything like that. You just say, this is a friend of mine from where I go to church or where I worship. This is a friend of mine that we went on a mission trip together. Introduce them to other people of faith. Maybe they'll find out faith, people of faith are not quite as odd or as weird as they thought they were. And then if you're doing some of those things, you say, I do all that, David, I do all that. Well, then maybe take that next step and ask a person without a church home, to look at the Bible with me. Now you will have friends who are studious and like to study. And you can say to them, study the Bible with me. But if they don't like to study, if the last book they read was named Facebook, then maybe they don't want to study, they want to look at the Bible. A friend of mine, who actually is a very wealthy man, told me, 
He said, you know, I don't like studying. And he was converted when he was probably about 45 years old. He said, I don't like studying things. But the guy who came to me said, hey, you want to look at the Bible with me? I said, sure, I'll look at it with you, but I won't study it with you. He's an elder today, that man is. So just say, you want to look at it with me. You want to study it with me. And if you say, well, I'm not comfortable in that, well, we'll share with you how to do that. But if you're still not comfortable with it, I'm happy to help you. There are other people here in the congregation who can sit down with you and your friend and help you. And, and Travis Bonet who, and others who lead up our evangelism ministry, they'll help you with that. And we'll get to that point with folks. But just share. Don't just tell each other. Tell those who don't know. The, really, the purpose is more to tell those who don't know because we got it. We need to be sharing with others as well. And this is my question for us today. What am I sharing? Am I sharing an open heart? Or do the folks in the neighborhood think, oh, that guy's a mess. Those folks at work think, I don't want anything to do with her. What am I sharing? You know, sometimes there are things that I see my girls do. They're now women. And I think, oh, yikes, they learned that from me. That's not good. But there are many times that they'll call and say, Dad, you taught me to do this. And that feels good. You taught me these good things to do. That feels great. What am I sharing not just with my children and grandchildren, but what am I sharing with other people? I think about people in this congregation who have passed, and we've had several people pass recently. And some of them, wow, they've taught a lot of people who weren't their flesh and blood, but they've taught a lot of people about what it meant to be a servant. They've taught people what it means to be kind to others. They've taught people what it means to be a Christian. And some of them have taught people how to become a Christian. They were a model to all of us. And if you don't have children or grandchildren to teach, maybe you're not married or don't have kids or whatever, you can still model that for the rest of us and inspire the rest of us. What am I sharing? So this morning, if you need to be baptized into Christ, we want you to come forward and be baptized and have your sins washed away and the gift, get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you're going, what, is, what are you talking about? Find me in the foyer. We'll talk about that more. If you need prayer, you can come down. The whole church will pray for you. You can write to elders at mcoc.org and tell them if it's private or public, and they'll pray for you. If you want the whole church to pray for you, the ministers to pray for you, we'll do that. But we want to be closer to God. We want to go and tell. Come this morning as we stand and sing.